All right, well, good morning, church. I've got a big one here for you today. We got a lot to move through today, but I think this is gonna be a good one. I think this is one that may help a lot of you. We're, as you know, we are on part three of our Second Timothy series called Famous Last Words. And as you know by now, these were Paul's last words to Timothy before he was martyred for Jesus. Now, uh, last week, we learned that, that faithfully serving Christ means a few different things. Faithfully serving Christ, first of all, means carefully passing on the truth that's been entrusted to you. Right? Jesus' disciples are commanded to make more disciples, right? To multiply and to pass on that truth to trustworthy people who are going to carry it forward. The second thing we learned was that faithfully serving Christ means embracing hardship. We learned that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world are moving in two different directions, right? So Christ followers need to be prepared for what? You remember? Friction, yeah. There's gonna be some friction and some heat. The third thing we learned was that faithfully serving Christ means keeping your eyes on the prize. And there were three different prizes that we talked about. We said that you should keep your eyes on Jesus because to know him is to know what life is. We said that we need to reach the lost because only two things last forever, God and people. So the lost are one of those prizes. And then the third one was value your own eternal destiny and God's approval of your life and your ministry. Now, before we jump back into 2 Timothy chapter 2, I've got a couple of stories for you. Years ago, there was a large statue of Christ that was built high up in the Andes Mountains on the border between Argentina and Chile. Now, the statue is called the Christ of the Andes, and it symbolizes a pledge between the two countries that for as long as that statue stands, there would be peace between Chile and Argentina. Now, shortly after the statue was built, the Chileans got upset. They thought they'd been slighted because the statue had its back turned to Chile. <laughs> Just when tempers were at their highest in Chile, a Chilean newspaper man saved the day in an editorial that satisfied the people and made them laugh. He simply said, well, the Argentinians need more watching than we do. <laughs> Fair, fair. One more. A husband and wife were in the middle of a heated argument. After arguing for about an hour, the exasperated husband finally shouted, I don't know how you can be so stupid and so beautiful at the same time. Don't say that to your wife, guys. <laughs> the wife responded calmly, allow me to explain. The good Lord made me beautiful so you'd be attracted to me, and he made me stupid so I'd be attracted to you. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> we live in a contentious society, don't we? We are contentious people. But that's part of being a fallen human being. We want to be right all the time. Who likes to be wrong? If you put your hand up, I don't believe you. <laughs> All right? 
we get incensed when someone tells us we're wrong. Remember when, uh, you remember when tolerance was the buzzword that you heard all the time, like 20, 30 years ago, all the time, you heard tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. We were told that we should tolerate those who look different from us, who live differently from us, who believe differently from us. And you know, tolerance is okay to an extent, right? The Christian theologian D.A. Carson says that tolerance used to mean accepting the existence of other beliefs. You didn't have to like it, but you had to show kindness and patience to those who differed from you. But in the last 30 years, a subtle shift started to happen. Now, tolerance means the acceptance of other beliefs. Or my beliefs are just as valid as your beliefs, even if they contradict each other. How many of you know that not every belief system is equally valid? It's not, right? Some beliefs are true and some are false. That's just reality. As Christians, we can't pretend that everyone's opinion is equal. Sometimes people can be just plain wrong. Uh, for example, we're told today, and I'm, uh, I'm going to get myself in trouble. I know I am, but you know what? I don't care. <laughs> we're told that there's no real difference today between men and women. That's false on multiple levels, not just biblically, all right? But it's false biologically. It's false behaviorally. God made you one or the other, and no amount of surgical or, chemi or chemical manipulation is going to change that. Right? Every strand of DNA in your body screams man or woman. We're told, we're told that science is the ultimate decider of truth. What's the line we've heard for the last two years? Follow the science. Follow the science. But science has its limitations. It can't explain everything. It can't explain love. It can't explain beauty. It can't explain art. It can't explain how we've all been ingrained with this deep sense of morality, of right and wrong. It can't even explain all the things that it's supposed to explain. Did you know that physicists still cannot explain the origin of matter? They can't. Some scientists think that the universe is just an endless cycle of big bangs and then big squeezes. In other words, uh, the universe, they believe, starts with a big bang expands in all directions for billions of years, and then somehow, magically, it all squeezes back together into that finite point once again, and then it explodes and starts the process all over again. And they say it's been doing that for eternity. That's what scientists nowadays are, are proposing. But they still can't explain where that matter came from in the first place. Did you know scientists think that they can explain how the universe began to within milliseconds of its birth, but they get back to those few milliseconds after the origin of the universe, and they say that physics begins to break down. They cannot find a workable model that explains how it all got started, and they still deny the necessity of God. Folks, I'm here to tell you they're wrong. Science can't explain everything, despite what they claim. We even have this problem in some so-called churches. Some churches teach that personal holiness isn't that important to God. Newsflash, it is. 
They teach that lifestyles and behaviors that are clearly condemned in Scripture are okay with God, but they're not. Again, not every belief is equally valid. Some are simply false. And that's the question that we're facing today. How do we speak the truth to others but do it in love? How do we do it? Because we're going to bump into falsehood. So how do we speak the truth but do it in the loving way that Christ has commanded? Right? How do we speak out against sin and falsehood but still practice mercy? How do we balance, you can go to the next slide, how do we balance grace with convictions? How do we balance grace with convictions? Have you ever known someone who knows the Bible inside and out, but offends a whole bunch of people the moment that they open their mouth? You've ever known someone like that? I've known a few. It's not pretty. <laughs> the truth is already offensive. The truth will step on toes. It's going to upset people, but our presentation of it should not. Our attitudes should not. Our treatment of others should not. Paul's really, really clear in 2 Timothy that the truth matters. But he also says that how we treat others, even those that we disagree with, matters. Because here's the thing. You can't elevate truth over love, or love over truth. They're both important to an infinite degree. They have to balance each other. Love tempers the truth, and the truth informs love. Love tempers the truth, and the truth informs love. Love means we want people to accept and live by the truth. And truth compels us to love others the way that God loves us. Truth and love are two sides of the same coin. And that's the point of today's passage, learning how to balance our convictions with God's grace. That said, we're gonna start in verse 14 today. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. If you have your Bible, you can flip there. Here's what it says. Verse 14, Paul says, keep reminding God's people of all of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and it only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, some for common use. 
Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. 22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because they, because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. All right. Now, I'm gonna be honest. I, when I first looked at this passage, I thought, you know what? I could break this up into like two or three weeks. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that. Uh, but I do wanna highlight three really important principles about speaking the truth in love, about balancing grace and biblical convictions. The first principle is this. Number one, balancing convictions and grace means picking our battles wisely. Balancing convictions and grace means picking our battles wisely. Notice Paul says here multiple times, verse 14, he says, warn God's people against what? quarreling about words. It's of no value and it only ruins those who listen. Verse 16, he says, avoid godless chatter. In verse 23, he says, don't have anything to do with, and I love the words he used, foolish and stupid arguments (laughs) because you know that they produce quarrels. And we're not exactly sure what the issues were in Ephesus where Timothy was the pastor. Uh, Scripture's a little bit vague. If you go back to 1 Timothy Uh, Paul said that certain people there were teaching what he called false doctrines, myths, endless genealogies, and controversial speculations, rather than advancing God's work. Now, whatever was going on, this was a church where they were majoring in the minors and minoring in the majors. Even in the church today, we have this, this nasty habit of arguing over stupid things. Yep, thank you. I know there's some out here who hear what I'm saying, right? Things like decorations in the building. Now, if I step on your toes and you said amen, you better not come back at me. (laughs) Or the church calendar, or the sound mix, or we nitpick people and leaders, or this, or that, or the other thing. But then we'll ignore major issues of biblical importance. Some people find a a pet theological position and then they beat that drum to the exclusion of everything else. The problem is, how do we know, how do we know which battles are worth fighting and which ones we can let slide? This morning, I wanna share a grid that I think will, will help us get some clarity on that. In the church, there are three categories of issues that we bump into. Go ahead and hit that next slide. There are three categories of issues that we hit, that we bump into in the church. The first one is convictions. Convictions. Convictions are non-negotiable truths. They're beliefs that if you claim to be a Christian, you can't compromise on them. 
You just can't. Beliefs like, there's only one God who created the universe. Kind of important. The Trinity, God is three persons in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% man. Everyone's dead in their sins and will be eternally separated from God apart from Christ. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Salvation requires repentance and faith in Jesus. The Bible is the true and inspired word of God. God expects us to live according to his commands. And there's more that we could probably put up there. Right? These things are clearly and persuasively taught in the Bible. They're things that you find, if you're one of my older saints in the room this morning, they're things that you find in like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. You remember when we used to recite those in church? Yeah, some of you do, right? You can't deny the things that are in this category and still consider yourself a Christian. They're non-negotiable. The second category is assertions. Assertions. Go ahead and hit that next slide. Assertions are things that have a major impact on the life and ministry of the church, but they're not essential to salvation. Please listen to that carefully. These are very important things up here, but they're not salvation issues. Things like baptism for adults by immersion versus for infants and by sprinkling. That's important, and that's going to affect the way you do ministry, but that's not a salvation issue. All right? All the gifts of the Spirit, including tongues, prophecy, and healing, are meant for today. I believe that. Versus some gifts were only for the early church. They call those people cessationists. All right? Anyone can choose faith in Jesus versus God only elects some people to be saved. It's possible to fall away from the Lord versus no one can lose their salvation. Personal holiness means that we should abstain from alcohol versus alcohol is fine as long as you don't get drunk. And there's a lot more that we could put up there. Once again, things in this category have a really, really big influence on the way your church functions. Do you know that a church that believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that all the gifts are for today is going to operate a lot differently than the church that doesn't? At least it should. A church that believes that God still works miraculously expects him to show up and move every Sunday. Amen? How many know that if you believe that anyone can come to Christ you're going to have a lot more urgency to share the gospel with the lost than someone who believes that God chooses who's going to believe. It's true. It's a lot easier to get motivated when you believe anyone can come to Christ versus God only picks some. For those of you who are keeping score, our church and our denomination subscribe to the beliefs that are there on the left. <laughs> and a lot of other churches subscribe to the beliefs on the right. So the stuff in this category is still really important. But let me be clear, this stuff doesn't determine whether someone's a Christian or not. It doesn't. Like I said last week, we can still hug our Christian brothers and sisters down the street who believe the stuff on the right. We all still belong to the same Lord. Amen? The final category is what I like to call speculations. Speculations, biblical opinions that might be interesting to discuss, 
but don't affect the everyday life of the church, such as, was the Genesis flood a worldwide event or a regional event? Are human beings composed of body and soul or body, soul, and spirit? Did Jesus descend into hell when he died on the cross? Is the church the spiritual successor to Israel or a separate entity? Will the mark of the beast be a microchip implanted under the skin? All right, these, and some of you, you may look at some of that and be like, what does any of that mean? It's okay if you don't understand. That's why there's speculations and not up at the top, right? So we have these three categories, convictions, assertions, and speculations. A couple of notes. These are not exhaustive lists. Like I said, there's a lot more we could include up here. Uh, Secondly, I'm sure that there are some people who would like to move some of these categories around, right? They'd like to take an item from this one and put it in that one. But what's the point? Why do I break down truth claims this way? It's to help us to understand what things are worth fighting for and what hills we shouldn't go dying on. Some people turn speculations into assertions, or even worse, they turn them into convictions. I knew a fellow that was really, really big into biblical prophecy. I mean really big. And biblical prophecy is great. And it's an interesting course of study. But this guy spent years studying Revelation, and he was really dogmatic about how the end times were going to play out. And if you disagreed with his views, he pretty much told you that you were blind and possibly unsaved. (laughs) He turned speculations into convictions. And the opposite can be a problem too. A good example of this would be a guy by the name of Rob Bell. Remember that name? Anyone remember Rob Bell? About 10, 15 years ago, he was a really popular pastor But then he started making statements like, so what if Jesus wasn't born of a virgin? What difference would that really make? That wouldn't really affect the Christian faith. Turns out it makes a pretty big difference. (laughs) Because the whole thing that makes Jesus special is that because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, he doesn't have the same sin nature as we do. The virgin birth is actually really important. And that was just the tip of the iceberg with Rob Bell. After stirring up a whole bunch of controversy, he ended up leaving the ministry, which personally, that was probably a good thing, okay? The point I'm making is this. We need to be zealous for our convictions. We need to be concerned about our assertions, and we need to be chill (laughs) about our speculations, Fight for the things that matter and relax about the things that don't. Let's major in the majors and not in the minors. The second thing we learned this morning from this passage is this. Balancing convictions, and you can go to the next slide, balancing convictions and grace means picking our battles wisely. Picking, oh, no, that's not it. Balancing convictions and grace means communicating, thank you, (laughs) the truth well. Communicating the truth well. In verse 15, Paul says to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. 
a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. The Greek for do your best is the word spudazo, which literally means be zealous, all in, hardcore, right? If you belong to the Lord, you should be zealously seeking his approval. And that means understanding and communicating the truth well. This is important mostly, I should say most important, it's important for everyone, but it's most important for us as pastors. We are responsible for the words that we teach. The book of James says that we who teach will be judged more strictly by God. And believe me, that is a sobering thought. God's going to hold us pastors accountable for the words that we say from this platform. One day when I see Jesus face to face, I hope he doesn't say, Nate, you remember that sermon? Oh, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> we have to be careful to say the right things about God and his word. We have to study. We have to read. We have to learn. We have to be sensitive to the discernment that the Holy Spirit gives us. But folks, correctly handling the Bible extends to more than just pastors. Now, we're, hold, we're held to a higher level of accountability, but everyone has to handle God's word accurately. This applies to you. You can't be sloppy with it. You should always be maturing in your knowledge of the word, always learning. You know why? Because the lost need you to point them to the truth because I can't be everywhere. You're the ones who interact with your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends and your family. Anyone here ever watch um, The Office? Anyone watch The Office? A few people will admit to it. <laughs> There's a scene in The Office. Go ahead and hit that next slide. There is a scene in the show The Office where Michael Scott, played by Steve Carell, plays a really goofy regional manager for the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. And in this scene, he's driving with his coworker, Dwight Schrute. And they're using a GPS. And now we all know that GPSs aren't the easiest thing to follow at times, right? Sometimes they just, they tell you things and you're like, what? Really? You want me to go that way, right? Well, the GPS tells Michael on the left to turn right. And Dwight says, no, 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 no. It means bear right up there. If you turn right here, you'll drive into the lake. <laughs> but Michael insists the GPS knows what it's doing. Right? So as Michael starts driving into the lake, Dwight screams at him, no, the turn is up there. There's no road here. Michael yells back at him, the machine knows. Stop yelling at me. <laughs> Seconds later, they're bailing out of the car as it sinks down into the lake. <laughs> now, the problem with far too many Christians today is that they function like a faulty GPS. They claim to know the Lord. They claim to point the tr to the truth. But when it comes time to live out the truth and to articulate the truth, they either freeze or they misrepresent it, or they botch it entirely. We have to do better than that, folks. I understand that not everyone in this room is a scholar, and that's okay. 
I understand that not everyone in here is a big reader, and that's okay. But it's not an excuse for remaining infantile in our thinking. Hebrews 6.1 says that we need to move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. If you're not a scholar, you could still be in a connect group, right? Or you can be in a Bible study or in a class or in grow track, all things that we offer here. If you're not a big reader, you could still listen to a podcast or an audio book or a sermon. And if you're not sure where to start, talk to one of us pastors. We are always more than happy to point you in the right direction, okay? More than anything, though, know the word. Know the word. Read it daily. Memorize it. Measure every opinion, every worldview, every ideology that you hear against the word. And as you grow in your faith, the word needs to overflow to those around you. It needs to find its way into conversation with your neighbors, your kids, your coworkers, your family, your friends. Speak it, share it, live it out. And that leads us to our final point. The third thing Paul says is that balancing convictions and grace means living out the truth. It means living out the truth. Now we've come full circle here. Having a good handle on the truth is important, but it's not enough. The truth has to impact the way that you live your life. Starting in verse 16, Paul tells Timothy that those who indulge in godless chatter will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. You know what gangrene is, right? It's when your flesh rots. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have departed from the truth. They say the resurrection has already taken place. They destroy the faith of some, right? Paul gives us the name of a couple guys here who had strayed from the truth, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now, we're only given a small piece of the false teaching that they were spreading, that the resurrection had already happened. What Paul, though, is more interested in showing us is that is how that false teaching impacted other people. He said it was spreading like gangrene. He said it was destroying the faith of others, leading them away from Jesus. And you know, that's the telltale sign of false teaching, folks. Did you know that? It leads people into sinful behavior rather than into godliness. That's how you can tell. A few verses later, Paul gives us the description of those who are committed to the truth. In verse 21, he says that those who are committed to the truth pursue holiness. In verse 22, he says that they flee the evil desires of youth. Now, the Greek here is epithumias neoterikos, which literally means youthful passions. Youthful passions. We have a very narrow idea of what passion is. But passion isn't just talking about lust. Youthful passions can mean things like hot-headedness, being short-tempered, Lack of self-control, 
The love of conflict. You ever met someone who just likes getting in arguments? Ugh, contentious people, right? But people who are committed to the truth don't crave controversy. In verse 25, Paul says that those who are committed to the truth are kind and gentle. More importantly, when they come across people who oppose the truth, their goal isn't simply to win an argument. Their goal is to try to lovingly lead those people to repentance. What does that mean for us? It means that the goal for speaking truth should always be to win others to Jesus and not to win an argument. No matter how good your argument is, you're not gonna win others to the Lord if your behavior stinks. In Corinthians, in uh, 1 Corinthians 8.1, Paul says that knowledge puffs up while love builds up. The old saying, you attract more flies with honey than vinegar. <laughs> it applies here. Right? The truth is important, but love is just as important. If the truth is really sunk down into your heart, it's going to impact the way that you treat people. It's going to result in the fruit of the Spirit being borne out in your life. Yes, you're going to have strong convictions, and that's okay. But you're also going to be gentle and compassionate because your desire is to win those people to the Lord and not to win an argument. To balance convictions with grace means to live out the truth in your own life. I'm gonna ask Joel to come back up to the platform. There's a story from many years ago of a, uh, a Christian professor his name was Stuart Blackie. And he taught at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. And he was listening to his students as they, as they read orally in front of the classroom. And one of his expectations, strange expectation, but one of his expectations was that you hold the book in your right hand as you read. When one young man came up to read and to give his oral presentation, he held the book in the wrong hand. And the professor looked at him and he thundered, take your book in your right hand and be seated. At this harsh rebuke, the student held up his right arm and he didn't have a right hand. <laughs> the other students shifted uneasily in their chairs. For a moment, the professor hesitated. Then he made his way up to the student and he put his arm around him and with tears streaming from his eyes, he said, I had no idea. Please, will you forgive me? His humble apology made a lasting impact on that young man. Sometime later, Professor Blackie told this story in a meeting uh, where he was with some other Christians. And at the close of that meeting, a guy who was sitting in the back came forward and he turned to the crowd and he raised up his right arm and it ended at the wrist. And he said, I was that student. Professor Blackie led me to Christ that day, but he never could have done it if he hadn't made the wrong right. Folks, I cannot stress it enough. Truth, truth is so vitally important. 
but so is your love for your fellow man. Balancing convictions and grace means picking our battles wisely, knowing what's important to fight for and what isn't. Balancing convictions and grace means communicating the truth well, understanding it and articulating it well. And balancing convictions and grace means living out the truth, especially by the way that we love even our opponents. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer today? Heavenly Father, as we go through this passage today and we see these words of Paul, I know I was convicted. Lord, I know that oftentimes we, we're so confident in the truth that we don't consider the way that we're presenting it. Lord, I know that sometimes we get on our soapbox. This is especially true of us, Lord, who are on social media. We oftentimes get on there and we, we let the other side have it. But Lord, as we've seen today, you've called us to a higher standard of living. Yes, we need to be fearless in sharing the truth and knowing the truth and understanding the truth, but we also have to be loving in the way that we communicate it. Father, I pray this morning that you would forgive us for not handling it appropriately. Forgive us, Lord, if we've not studied to show ourselves approved like Timothy. Forgive us if we've not been diligent in knowing and understanding the truth. But Lord, especially forgive us if we've shared the truth in an unloving manner and offended people by the way that we've acted. Father, we recognize that the truth is gonna step on people's toes and that's okay. But Lord, may we not step on people's toes and crush people with a nasty attitude and horrendous behavior. Father, I pray you'd help us to balance our convictions with grace and love. Challenge us with that, us with that, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you all this morning. Thank you for coming. Can't wait to see you next week as we continue this series.